Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 22, following along with lesson 21, Mosiah 29 to Alma 4. And this episode is not being done when it was supposed to. Uh, this was supposed to be last week's episode, or, uh, w- well, both last week's episode and lesson. And we were, when I was supposed to record it, we were down visiting family in southern Utah, and uh, I, I brought all my equipment, had all the plans and intentions of the world to record the episode, and then uh, didn't, and I kept letting it slide and letting it slip, and then um, this week's episode came time and uh, I, I didn't record that one on time either. And so I've been reflecting and asking myself, as well as talking to Lex about this, um, of, of why am I doing this? Why am I doing this podcast? Do I still want to be doing this podcast? Uh, what was the point? What was the goal? And and all of that. So um, I think it was, if we're having some hashtag real talk for a second, uh, when I when I set out to do a podcast and specifically this one, this family room discussions and doing come follow me lessons and stuff like that. The reason I did it and the reason I'm doing it still and I'm going to continue doing it um, was because I struggled to study come follow me last year. Um, Lex and I did it and we did it together, but but it was a real struggle and, uh, and, and still is in a lot of ways of figuring out how to make my study meaningful, how to pull... Um, the the lessons together, kind of, and and dig deep into the scriptures to be able to get what I feel like we're trying to get. And I think what I've learned, obviously, is that's not the point. The point isn't that the church is trying to get us to learn a specific lesson from from these lessons. It's to help us learn how to study on our own to be able to get the answers to prayers that we're dealing with in our own personal lives, because we're obviously all going through different things. And at different times, and, and the scriptures are a tool and a resource uh, from God to be able to help us receive revelation. It's like our Liahona. And uh, I think historically, the way that the curriculum has been set up is to kind of have all of us on the same page at the same time, learning the same lessons. And it's my belief that the brethren... Uh, and and many leaders in our church, men and women, have noticed that it hasn't been, um, with some people it works and some people it helps, and then with others it hasn't helped strengthen testimony. And and, uh, and so how do we combat that, right? And, uh, and I think this was the answer, was come follow me. So I won't keep rambling on with my thoughts of come follow me, other than to say the reason I wanted to do this podcast and I'm doing this podcast um, is not to gain a following. It's not to uh, make money. I have no plans to monetize this or to advertise or anything like that, which is a good thing since 
the ad revenue that would come from this would not break a dollar per episode. So that's good news. Um, and it's a good thing I didn't set out to make a following because uh, I haven't. <laughs> um, I, I have listeners. I know I have listeners. I, I'm not sure who you are. I appreciate you listening to my ramblings. Um, but you know what? I think when I set out to do this, the point was that I wanted to help myself more than anyone, uh, to, to give myself a focus and a reason to study, um, which I've done, and I, and I really love doing it, and it's helped me a lot. But then also to be able to help my friends and family who had the same struggles I'd, I had and have um, just by being a person who can be a sounding board for things of saying, hey, this is what I'm going through. These are the lessons I'm learning from Come Follow Me. And, you know, maybe this is something you are going through as well that, uh, I don't know, you can listen to someone who's going through it and is willing to uh, kind of share those uh, personal experiences. And so this is where the hashtag real talk comes in. I think I, th- I, th- I think I got, mm, I, like, I lost sight of my vision of why I'm doing this in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think I realized maybe I did want a following. Maybe I did want to have like 100 listeners, 200 listeners, thousands of listeners, so on, so on and so forth. And um, I mean, this has definitely not grown like that in the slightest. Uh, I had, I, I've had a lot of great support from friends and family, and I really appreciate you guys for, for listening. Um, if I'm being honest, I don't think that... Uh, If I wanted to make a following, this isn't the way to do it. And so that's where, you know, this week has been good. I've really reflected and, and decided that I'm not doing this for a following. This this is for me. Uh, this podcast is for me, and it's also for anyone that it can help. But in the end, this wasn't about having anyone listen to me. This is mostly to make sure to encourage me to be, to do and coming follow me and um and I genuinely want to hear from other people what they're learning and studying because that helps me more than anything. And so I, with, with all that being said, this was a, a long rambling of, of where my head's been at with this podcast. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I hope that makes sense. Um, Maybe why I didn't post or uh, why I didn't do this on the time. Like, I wish I would have. But I think the good thing is that I've recommitted and reevaluated where I'm at. And I recognize that my vision isn't where I kind of got sidetracked along the way of thinking like, wow, no one's really listening. Um, that's not the point. If if I want a following, then I think obviously that I, that, you know, I need to do a different podcast. And maybe that's the case. Um and, and maybe this will help even a little bit more for the three of you that are listening. Uh, I've been really trying to figure out where I want to go with my career one day. And I know that I'm a creative person. Well, at least I think I'm a creative person. Maybe I'm not. But I like being creative. I like thinking outside the box. I like I just like thinking in general. And uh, I, that's how that sounds probably kind of weird. But taking a problem and then mulling it over and figuring out ways to solve it, you know, 
is something I really am passionate about. And I would love to be doing that in a career aspect. And so whether that's, you know, in writing, which is what I'm doing now, but like uh, writing or doing a podcast or a YouTube channel or kind of actually every outlet sounds really exciting to me, but just being able to be a creative person in that way uh, to help inspire others is what I want to do because I, I think the world is devoid of a lot of hope and, uh, and I would love to be a bright spot in the world for people where it can be an escape from the constant news cycle, an escape from the daily problems we go through, and, and just someone that can help more than anything. That's, that's what I want. That's my dream. So um, this was eight minutes too long of explaining where we're at. So I'm going to jump right in now to the actual lesson of what I learned. But I appreciate uh, those that have been listening and uh, hopefully I can be able to uh, have you on the show as a guest because I'd love to hear uh, and actually just reach out to me. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, uh, reach out to me, just text me or send me a Facebook message and let's get you scheduled if, if you're open to that. Let's get you scheduled to come be a guest on the podcast and, and let's talk about Come Follow Me Lessons if that's cool with you. Um, so without further ado, the introduction. Some might see King Mosiah's proposal to replace kings with elected judges as merely wise political reform, but to the Nephites, especially those who lived under wicked King Noah, this change had spiritual significance too. They had seen how an unrighteous king had caused iniquity and great destruction among his people, and they were exceedingly anxious to be free from such influence. This change would allow them to be responsible for their own righteousness and answer for their own sins. Of course, the end of the reign of kings did not mean the end of problems in Nephi's in, the, in Nephi society. Cunning people like Nehor and Amlici promoted false ideas, non-believers persecuted the saints, and many members of the church became prideful and fell away. Yet the humble followers of God remained steadfast and immovable, despite what happened around them. And because of the change enacted by Mosiah, they would cast they could cast in their votes to influence their society for good. And uh, the part I like from this is, is they were exceedingly anxious to be free from such influence in that middle part about as they're changing from, you know, having an unrighteous king and how unrighteous kings cause great destruction, you know. Uh, the exceedingly anxious to be free from such influence is, a, is a, something I think we all feel of wanting to be in a government where um, we're free, we are free from the influences of unrighteousness. Uh, so going into... Ideas for personal scripture study. The first chunk says I can be a positive influence in my community. And, uh, you know, it's funny. This would have been, my thoughts on this would have been different if I would have done this lesson when I, it was, I was supposed to. And uh, with things happening in the world right now, my focus on this has actually been enhanced. But I'm going to just um, keep it to what I had been thinking when I originally studied this lesson. So it says, just five years into the reign of the judges, a crisis arose that would test Mosiah's declaration that the voice of the people would usually choose what was right. The issue involved religious freedom. A man named Amlicite sought to deprive the people of their rights and privileges of the church. Have you noticed religions, or excuse me, religious rights being threatened in your nation or community? What do you learn from the way the Nephites responded to this threat? Uh, my answer to that is absolutely. I've absolutely noticed religious rights being threatened in my community um, and nation. And, uh, 
but but more than that, I think what I've seen is just religion in general being under attack, um, specifically on social media, which uh, can be a great platform pe- for people, but can also be a just a horrible place. And you know, in a lot of ways, it seems like religious people in general seem to be under attack. Just period, with uh, just everything. <laughs> Uh, but let me move further. So it says there are likely many important issues facing your community. How can you, like ne- like the Nephites, make sure that your voice is included in the voice of the people? Uh, perhaps you live in a place where the voice of the people has limited influence on the government. If so, are there other ways you can be a positive influence in your community? So thankfully, um, we are blessed to live in a nation where our voices can be heard. Um, we have the right to vote, which is an incredible right, um, regardless on you know, the whole if it makes a difference or not. And it, to me, I think it does make a difference just in the, the fact that by exercising our, our rights to, to, uh, to vote and to cast our voices for people to represent us is incredibly important. And I, honestly, the most important elections are the ones that are happening at our local community, your city council members, your mayor, your, um, you know, your governor those votes are probably the most important because to me those are the most important anyway because the things i deal with in my day-to-day life are most impacted by what's happening on my community level rather than my um on the national level not to say that national elections aren't very important but i think you know as a nation it's funny i see us putting more emphasis on our national elections you know for president or or so on and so forth and um I mean, I've lived through, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, like five presidents. Is that what I'm at at this point? Maybe six. I don't know. I didn't really get super into politics until the last few years. But, um, yeah, for for most of my life, I have felt relatively unaffected on a national level. But I have noticed my life being significantly impacted by my uh my local community and, and those running the local government so um but my thoughts here is that you know we we can and should be a positive influence in the community and i think it starts on a local level so um yeah make sure that you're being a positive influence specifically in your family amongst your friend groups and also uh, go to city council meetings and uh yeah i had a cool opportunity to go to um, I don't, I don't know if it was a city council meeting or what this was, but my, my father-in-law is a county commissioner for Garfield and, uh, Gar- Garfield County in Southern Utah. And he invited, um, he invited me and, and Lex to go watch one of the council meetings for, uh, at the county level. And it was really cool to see the process and, and people be able to voice their opinions, um, in a public forum. And it, it just, it's interesting. If you've never been part of the process, go. I, re- I recommend and encourage you to go. Just sit in because uh, it's open to the public. And, and just listen. You know, you, you'll hear some interesting things. You'll probably hear some things you don't like. And, and I think it's, it's a beautiful process. And we're so blessed to live in a country um, where we do have the freedom of speech and, and, and things like that. So in the next chunk, it says, uh, I can recognize and reject false doctrine. I've noticed this one. This is the one that really, to me, is ex- like extremely important in, a, in our day and time and just everything that's happening in the world right now. There's so many voices 
Like there are so many voices, and there's so many people who have opinions and are talking. And uh, in every news channel you turn on has a different opinion, and every news channel seems to be presenting different facts. And and it's just it can be very tough. If um, I don't know, it's I'd be shocked if anyone is able to feel like they're never at any point confused with information they receive. So. Uh, to me, this stuck out. And so it talks about how um, it says, although Nehor con- eventually confessed that what he taught was false, his teachings continued to influence the Nephites for many years. Why might people have found Nehor's teachings enticing? As you read Alma chapter 1, 2 to 4, see if you can identify the falsehood falsehoods in Nehor's teaching. You'll probably notice that they, they're taught alongside partial truths. And, and that right there, and I'm, gonna, th- I'm not going to read further. That's the part that I want to focus on is that it is so tough when uh, when false doctrine is taught with partial truths, right? Because that's what makes it so confusing is that um, you'll hear something where it's like, well, okay, that's true. But then there you'll hear something else where it's like, ah, that's rubbing me the wrong way, but the other thing was true, and so it sounds like it's the right source. I have learned to be increasingly cautious of where I receive my information, both on a religious level, but also on a day-to-day interaction level and, and news level, um, it can be so easy to fall into our positive, our own positive bias, right? Like where something matches what we want it to match. And so we just go with it and then we kind of increase that. And I'm seeing that more and more, especially uh, amongst my peers. And uh, something that I love, the lesson that, that that I learned from my, my entire college experience was to question everything and not to be obnoxious about it, but to find the truth, right? That's what we're doing is trying to find the truth. And so specifically in the church, um, you, I've noticed for me, I need to be extremely careful who I hold up to be my, uh, my mentors or my religious leaders. Uh, not, not, I don't mean like, like, uh, you know, you know, what do I mean? I mean, there are those who I look up to and hold in high regard that have their own opinions on certain doctrines or teachings or whatever. And uh, oftentimes I find them very interesting, but um, you always have to take anything that's not strict doctrine or strict gospel principles and uh, and make sure that you're trying to find the truth in all things. Because there's a lot of things that are open to interpretation and I think it's, it's meant to be that way. Right? I, this is the example I always use, the Sabbath day. You look at any family, and most of us have different Sabbath day practices. Some families, uh, if you really want to get into an interesting conversation, get into a conversation about what you believe your Sabbath day observance should be when you're on vacation. Because I know some people who believe that when you're on vacation, it's vacation, so... Um, you know, the Sabbath day is kind of one of those, like, days you skip. And then there are those that believe that, no, the Sabbath day is the Sabbath day no matter where you are. So, um, you know, you, you go to church when you're on vacation. You don't do any extra activities. And then I know families who are kind of in between where they'll go to church and then the rest of the day is treated kind of like a Saturday and, and so on and so forth, right? And um, to me... I see all these differences in families and stuff, and I'm like, these can all work. Um, Because it's it's up to, 
It's your, kind of your relationship with the Lord. It's not for me to decide what's appropriate for you on the Sabbath day. Now, there are obviously things I think that it's like, well, that's probably not appropriate on the Sabbath day. But for Lex and I, we have things that we feel that we should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath day. And um, that's what we've come to, like, in agreement with us for our family. And, you know, those um, <laughs> one of those things was actually challenged when we were with family the other day and and that happens and you know you, the, the point is that you just don't let anything separate you from the love in your heart but that could be frustrating anyway that's beside the point but that's uh yeah those are my thoughts there it's just like find your truth and make sure to reject anything that's false and just be so careful with any information you're getting. Um, I know that's what I have to do. And I think we're going to have to increasingly be wary of that, especially because of the prevalence of, of social media, the fact that anyone kind of has a voice and some people are just more convincing than others that they're, they should be listened to. You know, it's not always going to be easy. And I think if Nihor had social media, he would have, had a massive following and led a lot of people astray. So uh, be cautious is, is kind of my takeaway from this. And then also, so tr the next chunk, true disciples of Jesus Christ do not set their hearts upon riches. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you go down to kind of halfway through, it says, based on what you find, how would you describe the attitude that humble followers of God have towards riches and pro prosperity? What do you feel inspired to change about your own attitude? Um. To me, the humble followers of God with this attitude about, about riches and prosperity are the ones that always recognize that that comes from God. And um, they constantly are thanking God. They're always pointing back to him. And that's not just with, with riches and prosperity. That's with all blessings, all gifts, all things. It's like the, the people that I see in life that I'm like, that's a humble person. It's not because they're constantly like... Um, what is the word I'm trying to think of where you like tear your own self down, you know, the, the, not the fame and not the face. Uh, you know the word. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but debase. Is it debase? Maybe it's debase themselves. Yeah, we'll go with that one. So debase themselves. It's not the ones who like are constantly putting themselves down or, or making, you know, jokes at their own expense. Although I do, I do love a good sense of humor that, uh, with, with someone who's able to do that in a funny way. But no, it's the people, to me, that are the ones that always point back to God. Like every blessing they have came from God. And those are the people I like to follow and listen to and uh, have around me. And and that's just both, like, it's funny, there's a, I've seen this growing up and, and throughout my life where there's a, there's a spectrum of people, right, where it's a belief where if you have money, you therefore must be evil. I don't know which community is teaching this or which communities are teaching this. Um, but I've, like, I'm like, especially among the, amongst the saints, right, I'm like, are we not reading the same Book of Mormon where in Jacob it talks about seeking riches is actually um, a good thing as long as you're doing it in the name of the Lord and trying to bless others and... Uh, and whatever, like, it's not wealth that's inherently evil. It's it's what you do with it, right? It's the decisions you make with it. So 
I know plenty of wealthy people that aren't very kind and aren't very generous and people that I don't super look up to. And I also know a ton of people that are extremely wealthy who are saints, just absolutely amazing people. Um, I, like, I don't want to really name names, but one person that comes to mind right away is Scott Anderson, of Zion, the president of Zions Bank. That man is one of the kindest and just most humble individuals that I have had the great opportunity of getting to know. Um, he, When I was looking for a job, he allowed me to come into his office on a Saturday, meet with him, and take like 30 minutes to an hour of his time seeking advice on you know, job searching and, and things of that nature. And like, I'm a nobody. And, uh, and he was just, he treated me, treated me like I was a somebody and made me feel like I was a somebody. And when I left his office, I left a better person. And uh, that's, that's the type of attitude that I want to have when it comes to wealth. Because, you know, as Lex and I are trying to grow our, both our family, but also our um, existence in this life, one day, I hope that we are able to be wealthy so that we can um, bless others abundantly. Now, that's something I truly hope for. And so that's the type of example I want to be is that even if I were a somebody, even if I was someone that people wanted to follow or whatever, that they would be like, no, he's he's the real deal. He's not just a fake. He's not a phony. And now I'm a four. It says the word of God. Or excuse me, the, the final chunk of this. It says the word of God and the word of God and pure testimony can change hearts. Uh, it says, not the whole thing, but a segment of this says, some might say that the office of chief judge would have put Alma in the best position to solve the problems he saw among his people. But Alma felt there was a better way. What impresses you about his approach to helping his people? And I talked about this with my family. My favorite part of this is that he had a, he, he kind of had the, like, the best of all worlds, right? But he recognized, to me, what I see is that he recognized the gifts he had, the talents he had, and that they weren't being utilized by having to stay um, as chief judge, like he knew that he was a powerful missionary. He knew that he could change the hearts and wills of people, uh, through the Holy ghost, that he could bring the Holy ghost into people's lives. But the only way to do that was to step down. And, you know, later we'll see how people attack him for this. Um, essentially saying like, you would have had influence, but because you're not the chief judge, you have no influence here. Like this was a, a humble decision he had to make. Um, it's kind of like you're at the top of the game and then you're like, but I can be utilized better. And that's what I love about Alma's example is that he was at the top of the game, the most influential person in the land. And he said, my gifts and talents aren't being utilized to the fullest. And I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be used by the Lord in the best way possible. Um, you know, so it's not about being elder scorn president. It's, it's not about being well, of course, this doesn't, I don't think this exists anymore, right? The high priest group leader or whatever, or, or the bishop in the ward. It's, are, are you utilizing your talents in a way to bless those around you, regardless of your calling? And that's something that I have, uh, over the years, been working to develop and work on is that I need to be, it's, it doesn't matter if I have a calling or don't have a calling, it's how am I utilizing my talents for the Lord? So then in the next section, ideas for family scripture, studying family and home evening, I'm going to skip around real quick. Um, cause I love this one. I actually loved, you know, typically I kind of skip over this section, but this one I actually love, but let me just deep dive fast. So Alma one, 19 to 25 part I like was maybe you could practice ways to respond appropriately when others attack your beliefs. 
um, or our beliefs. A fantastic activity, and I think it's like something really needs to be practiced in the home uh, because this is the best way. You know, role playing on the mission for me was one of the best ways to prepare for a lesson. I think the same thing goes with dealing with our day to day experiences. Uh, we're gonna see more persecution as time goes on. Knowing how to deal with that in a graceful and Christ-like manner is going to be vital in our survival. Alma 3.4, next chunk, says, What messages might we send intentionally or unintentionally with our appearance? Um, I, you know, it, it's funny. I, I don't want to go back to the mission, but on the mission, I remember there were elders that had a prom, uh, friends of mine that had a prom with, like, people judging them for their appearance or the way they acted or whatever, and they were like, Everyone, everyone is accountable to God. Like it shouldn't be on me. And uh, over time, we learn right that we a hundred percent, like our appearance and the way we act, the things we do, a hundred percent influence whether others will listen to us or not. And you know that it may be fair and it may be unfair, but that is the facts of of the human experience. You can't change it. So to to fight it is is kind of futile, in my opinion. Um. But I do think it's really important that, like, like I know this for sure, the way I dress or the way I act or the way I carry myself 100% influences what others think of me. And I know for me, I have really tried to make sure that I carry myself in a way that, you know, you can't control what others think of you, but you can control if you would feel comfortable standing in front of God and accounting for it, because that's what we all have to do. So keeping that in mind, especially especially for teenagers, where I know that the temptation there is so real. In the next chunk, Alma 4, 2 to 3, it says, uh, near the bottom, you might then discuss how the challenges of waking up physically help us understand the challenges of waking up spiritually. And I just love that. You know, For me, like waking up has been tough. I've, really, the challenge isn't waking up. The challenge is going to bed on time. And I always love this. My mission president would say that your day doesn't start at 6.30 in the morning. Your day starts at 10.30 p.m. the night before. Because the way that you, like essentially daily planning, like so at what, 9? 9 p.m. is when our day starts for the next day because that's when you sit down to daily plan with your companion and all that and take care of that. And and I need to get back into that habit. I used to be super good at planning for my, like thinking of it that way. And then I came home and, I've fallen out of that belief, but I know that my life will be, uh, like that's, that's something I want to practice again is that my day starts when I prepare for my next day the night before. And that's how you prepare for success. The next chunk, I'm, uh, four, 10 to 11. This is how can we avoid being a stumbling block to those who do not belong to the church? And I think number one is be a genuine human being, um, be a good person. Uh, number two, like number two, don't, don't avoid talking about the gospel, but don't do it in a way that's also like that you're coming at an angle. And um, this takes practice and like be gentle with be gentle with yourself, right? Because you're not going to get it perfect. But I really love Clayton Christensen's book, uh, The Power of the Everyday Missionary. He talks about this where he wanted to be a good example and wanted to be a good missionary, and they had these they you know so they found a couple who they wanted to teach the gospel to and. They became friends. They got together, all these things. And as time went on, they, you know, they invite the missionaries over. And this couple said that they didn't want, they didn't feel like the gospel was for them. 
And so then he was like, okay, so then he went to the next name on his list, right? Well, then later he found out that he had actually offended this first couple because uh, he, you know, he quit quit investing time into that relationship, and they felt like, you know, the rumors about how Latter Day Saints only want to be your friend if they believe they convert can can convert you, and when they realize they can't, they'll you know drop you off the face of the map, and you know, so he in this book in his book explains. And, and I, gosh, I wish he was still alive. He was an amazing man. But um, in his book explains how if you're going to be a true missionary, it's about being a true friend. I love that. So if you don't want to be a stumbling block, be a true friend. And um, recognize that your example 100% matters. You might not feel like you're a great saint. You might not feel like you're the best example. It doesn't matter because when people find out you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they have expectations of what that means. And if, you, if you're not living up to those expectations, it's not your job to be perfect, but if, if you don't meet kind of that criteria, that will tarnish the reputation of the church. And it might, it might not be fair, but it's the same as with a family, like a family name, right? And um, it's a responsibility and a duty of each member to, to really take that mantle and carry it. Um, and, and I, I just, I, there's like no apologies to be made there, right? Like that is what we're doing. We're taking upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ. And like, I mean, man, the risk he's taking on all of us, you know, because we're clearly not up to the, to the bar, but that's what he does is he makes us better. And so, um, yeah, and I got nothing to add on the last chunk. So uh, let's quickly go into the scriptures I loved, and there are a ton, so buckle up. So the first one comes in Mosiah 29.2, and I actually had to pull out my scriptures for this one, so you're going to hear, you know, shuffling of pages and whatever. <clears throat> All right. So, like I said, Mosiah 29.2, it says, And it came to pass that the voice of the people became, saying, We are desirous that Aaron thy son should be our king and our ruler. The one thought I had here uh, was, does this mean Aaron was the oldest? And it doesn't have to mean, but... The reason I wonder at this is because I always thought Mosiah was the oldest just because it kind of sounds like he was the leader and, and interactions that happened later on or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I think Aaron was the oldest. Okay, next one is Mosiah 29.8. says, Now I say unto you, Let us be wise and consider these things, for we have no right to destroy my son, neither should we have any right to destroy another if he should be appointed in his stead. I love that, let us be wise. And consider these things. How often do we stop and consider things? Um, I feel like so often, especially in this world of quick answers, quick responses, and quick emotions, we don't stop and consider and and think through and ponder. And uh, that's something that I want to be better at doing is, is stopping, considering, and pondering. And I would love to be a wise human being. All right. Verse 13, uh, same chapter. Therefore, if it were possible that you could have just men to be your kings who would establish laws of the laws of God and judge this people according to his commandments. Yea, if you could have men for your kings who would do even as my father Benjamin did for this people, I say unto you, if this could always be the case, then it would be expedient that you should always have kings to rule over you. And I thought that was interesting because obviously um, in the United States of America, we do not have a king. Um, we have a democratic republic. And... Um, just, you know, it's interesting that, that it, if, if we could have righteous kings, then it would be expedient to have a king. And it reminds me of uh, in the Federalist Papers, and I don't remember which one. Um, 
you know, back in the day, I used to remember it was either like 10 or 57. Anyway, one of them says, if men, if men were angels, um, if you remember this line, if you know the Federalist Papers, and I don't have it memorized anymore. I did back in Mr. Ochoa's uh, AP history class back in high school. Anyway, it was, uh, if men were angels, um, and essentially the whole point is like, then we wouldn't need a government with laws. But because men aren't, uh, we have to have a uh, checks and balance system, right? So it's just interesting, the the parallels and clearly God's influence, right? Like the lesson here in the Book of Mormon, the lesson in our, like the American founding. It's like you can, you know that this country uh, was set apart by God and like he's, he's in full control. So then in uh, the next one I like was in 2926, says now, uh, it is not common that the voice of the people, and here's the page turn, desireth, page turn, anything contrary to that which is right, but it is common for the lesser part of the people to desire that which is not right. Therefore, this shall you observe and make it your law to do your business by the voice of the people. And I think that's an extremely important principle that is being lost in America, um, at least in thought, not in practice, which is that it's the voice of the majority that makes the decision. Um, and it is true that the day that the majority starts rule, choosing evil is the day that I think we're lost. Um, Mosiah 29, 34, it says, And he told them that these things ought not to be, but that the burden should come upon all the people, that every man might bear his part. And uh, just how, you know, it's not right for the government to to get their wages off the backs of the people, which is also my argument for lower taxes. All right, in Mosiah 29, 46, it says, And it came to pass that Mosiah died also in the thirty and third year of his reign, being sixty and three years old, making in the whole five hundred and nine years from the time Lehi left Jerusalem. It's just fascinating to me that here we are, not even halfway through the Book of Mormon, and we have covered that much time. And... Christ is, the, the, keep this into perspective as we go through Alma, okay? Christ is coming in less than 100 years, or like not to America, but he will be born. In, in the timeline, Christ will be born in less than 100 years. And um, it's just fascinating how much, how much ground Alma covers and how much changes with the people and all these things. Because so far, like, you know, the, the Book of Mormon has like jumped. We've jumped hundreds of years per like, Jerem, Omni, and uh, and then all of a sudden Alma like slows back down. So it's just fascinating. All right. So and then next verse, we're almost done. Alma one six, and page flip it says, and he began to be lifted up in the pride of his heart and to wear very costly apparel. Yea, even began to establish a church after the manner of his preaching. And uh, this is what we need to avoid, right? Um being lifted up in the pride of our hearts, wearing costly apparel for the sake of costly apparel, for the sake of appearance, and and then, obviously, you know, establishing a church for the sake of money. And and I think that's an example you can see in, in other churches or in church leaders, right? It's not about the actual gospel. It's about uh, what's in it for them. 
uh, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Therefore, if it were possible that Amlici should gain the voice of the people, he being a wicked man, would deprive them of their rights and privileges of the church, for it, it was his intent to destroy uh, the church of God. And that part about would deprive them of their rights and privileges of the church is the part that really just stuck out to me is that um, it's so important that our religious freedoms and liberties liberties be protected because without that, it just makes it incredibly more difficult um, to be able to practice our religion. Okay, so then in Mosiah 4.10, yep, says, And thus ended the eighth year of the reign of the judges, and the wickedness of the church was a great stumbling block to those who did not belong to the church, and thus the church began to... Uh, fail in its progress and and uh that's something we want to avoid obviously is is that the way like we we allow wickedness in because once we do then the church does not prosper and we fall and finally chapter 4 verse 19 it says and this he did that he himself might go forth among his people or among the people of nephi that he might preach the word of god unto them to stir them up in remembrance of their duty that he might pull down by the word of God all the pride and craftiness and all the contentions which were among his people, seeing no way that he might reclaim them, save it were by bearing down in pure testimony against them. And I love that. Alma is a boss. And I love that example of him and just that he knew what he needed to do. He knew the gifts he had been given, that God had given him and placed in his charge and care to be able to help his, his brothers and sisters. And then he does it. And that is the example for all of us to follow is uh, that we need to utilize the gifts that we've been given to be able to help others and to bless others and to bring others back unto Christ. That is the goal, and that is what we are all trying to do. And when we do that, then we will find true peace and happiness, no matter what is happening in the world. And uh, so anyway, I once again, I apologize that this did not come out. I know no one is offended because there's not that many of you listening. But nonetheless, I appreciate that you listen anyway. Uh, even though half the time it's just me rambling. And I will I would say I'll see you in a week, but actually you're going to see like three podcasts all posted on the same day, so you'll see me real quick. <laughs> Thanks.